Oh, okay. Thank you. There's a, a verse in Isaiah, about verse, uh, in chapter 30, I think it is, where it says, I heard a voice that was neither to my left or to my right. It was behind me. I don't know if you've had the privilege of hear, hearing or standing in the middle of a stereo system that's actually working correctly. The noise sounds like it's in the middle of your head. Or the music. <laughs> it sounds like it's in the middle of your head. And you can't tell what direction it's coming from. And I have discovered at many times that the voice of God is just like that. It's right in the middle of my head. It's not back there, it's not over there or there or there, it's right in here. And the reason why I sometimes mistake it, and I think sometimes you might mistake it too, is because it actually sounds like your own voice. God speaks to you and you hear it you hear it in what sounds like your own voice. You know it's not when you recognise it, but it sounds like your own voice. So do not dismiss it. So God further spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When you enter the land of Canaan, uh, which I give you for a possession, and I put a mark of leprosy, or if you use New, uh, New International, it's, it's mildew, on the house in the land for, of your possession... Then the one who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, saying, Something, note, something, it's not leprosy or mildew, but something like a mark of leprosy has become visible to me in the house. And the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to look at the mark, so that everything in the house need not become unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in and look at the house. Verse 37. So he will look at the mark, and if the mark on the walls of the house has greenish or reddish depressions and appears deeper than the surface, then the house shall come, uh, sorry, then the, then the priest shall come to, out to the doorway of the house and quarantine the house for seven days. The priest shall return upon the seventh day and make an inspection. If the mark has indeed spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall order them to tear out the stones with the mark in them and throw them away at an unclean place outside the city. He shall have the, place, he shall have the house scraped and all around the inside they shall scrape and dump the plaster, which is made of clay, they shall dump, scrape it off and put it in the unclean place. Then they shall also take out other stones and replace those stones and he shall take other plaster and replaster the house. 43. If, however, the mark breaks out again in the house after he has torn out the stones and scraped the house and after it's been replastered, then the priest shall come in and make an inspection. If he sees the mark has indeed spread in the house, it is a malignant mark or a destructive mark, I think was the NIV. It's a destructive mark in the house and it is unclean. He shall therefore tear down the house, its stones and its timbers and all the plaster of the house and he shall take them outside of the city to an unclean place. And moreover, whoever goes into the house during the, that time he has, that it is quarantined becomes unclean until evening. Likewise, whoever lies down in the house shall wash his clothes and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. 
verse 48. If, on the other hand, the priest comes in and makes an inspection and the mark has not spread in the house after the house has been replastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the mark has not reappeared. To cleanse the house then, he shall take two birds one, uh, uh, and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop and he will slaughter the he will slaughter one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over running water, or clear water. And then he will take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet string with the live bird, dip them in the blood of the, of the slain bird, as it is well in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. And thus cleanse the house with its blood of the bird and with the running water, along with the live bird, the cedar wood and with the hyssop and the scarlet, the scarlet string. However, he shall then let the live bird go outside the city into the open field. So he shall make atonement for the house and it will be clean. This is the law for any mark of leprosy or mildew, even for a scale, and for the leprous garment or the house and for a swelling or a scab or a bright spot to teach them when they are unclean and when they are clean. This is the law of leprosy. Interesting passage of scripture, I thought. Wow. What does it mean? I'll let you have some ideas in your own head. I'm not calling for answers right now. The first thing we need to look at this passage, when we see this passage, is it's firstly, God says, when... You get into the land that I'm giving you, that I'm making for your possession. Next verse says, and I put, and I put a mark in the house. So God actually puts this mark in the house. God actually sets it there. Now, this becomes really interesting because, because anything that's sort of a bit upsetting to our ways... Oh, the devil did it. Oh, the, I'm under the attack of the devil. Or something. We are quick to blame something else. I, I, I've discovered these things. Some things are from the devil, yes. And some things God actually interferes with our lives, yes. And sometimes things happen to me just because I'm dumb and stupid and <laughs> sinful. And I can't see the light of day for the facts that are there. So there are three inspections here of this home. The first inspection, I love the way, I love the, way the Lord's speaking to, you've got to remember, the Lord is speaking this to Moses and Aaron. And he says, before the priest goes in to declare it unclean, clear the house out. Now, my mind begins to wander. I think, okay, that's me, the wife, and the kids. Our clothes, our toys, our cooking utensils, our kitchen sink, our kitchen table, the lounge sink. It's all got to go out. Now God actually warns them to move these things out before the priest goes in. Because if the priest goes in and declares them unclean, declares the house unclean or the marks unclean, those things also become unclean. Some of them to be thrown away, some of them to have to go through a period of cleansing. 
Whatever it is, it's going to be disruptive. When God puts his finger in your life, I can promise you it will be disrupting to your way, your old way of living. And it's God doing it. Not the devil at this time. It's God doing it. And so they come in, they they, they do some work in the house. He comes back to see the second inspection. Comes back to look at it, see what's happened there. If it's uh, if it's stopped if it's stopped going, there's there's a there's a, a change of action toward it. If it continues on, it's declared something really bad, and finally, the, half the house has to be pulled out and thrown away. And then finally, if it doesn't stop at the last inspection, the whole house is destroyed. You think, wow, what what sort of a go is this? God said, I will put that mark in your house. Don't ever think that God does not want to talk to you or communicate to you or lead you or direct you in something. Here's the children of Israel coming across Jordan into Canaan, given the land, promised to Abraham many, many, many years ago, 400 odd years ago. They come into the land and now God says, you have to know I'm going to put a mark in some of these houses. And you'll need to do something about it. You'll need to sort through and work out what's going to happen. What's going to happen. So, the question is, why? Why is the mark in the house? What's God actually wanting to get over to these inhabitants? It's actually God showing care for the people sometimes I've, I've sort of thought, oh, I feel like God's wanting to speak to me and talk to me, but I, I feel like I want to push it away because what he's saying to me is not what I want to hear I mean I'd love it if I could, every time there's a bit of a need just snap my fingers and you know God provides, I'd love it if every time I get a, a scratch or an itch or a bump or something else goes wrong I could just say oh healed in Jesus' name. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Doesn't always happen that way. And sometimes God actually interferes with my life. I knew as a younger man in ministry that God was working on my weaknesses. I knew that he was encouraging me and strengthening me and correcting and reshaping those things that appeared to be weaknesses in me. About halfway through my ministry life, God spoke to my heart one day about what I considered a strength. And I realised that now, in God's opinion, having dealt with some weaknesses to the point where he was satisfied to leave them momentarily, he turned his attention to my strengths. Oh, give me a break! You know, I can play the guitar, you know, I can do that, I can... I can preach or I can sing or whatever it might be. You see, God wants every last little part of you. We're all happy to get help with our weaknesses because we acknowledge that those things are a problem to us. But when, when it comes to my strengths, well... That's what you've given me, God. I know I can do it with that. I'll do it. He said, no, no, no. 
I don't want you using your strength to do my work. I want you to let me to empower your strength to do my work. Because it's not your strength. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So God walks us on a, on a he wants to walk us on a, on, a, on a deeper path. And here he is saying to these children of Israel, when they come into the land, some of them are going to get a mark in their house. They've got to empty the house out. They've got to undergo one, two, three inspections. Some of them might even lose their houses. Wow. Does that seem a bit harsh? Do you, do you find yourself saying, oh, that's a bit, oh, what's all this about? What's going on here? You know, I thought, Lord, you've given us the land. You've, you've brought us into houses we didn't build. You've brought us into barns we didn't put up. You've brought us into farms that we didn't put the fences up and get the animals there. As they cleared the Amorites and the Hittites and the Hivites and every other eye out, they took over their land. So they inherited those places. God gave them to them. God gave them the strength to overcome the enemies. So they inherited their properties. It was a gift from God. And now God's saying, well, I might put a mark in some of them. I might put a mark in some because something else might have to be dealt with. Have you ever thought about why when the invading captains or armies or kings came into Jerusalem, they, they, they destroyed the city? Did, have, you ever, have you ever thought... They would go into a city, they would break down the walls and they would go into the prime building, whether it's the palace or the treasury building or, in Israel's case, the temple. They would go in there and they would break down every wall. Well, are they just being nasty? Are they just not appreciative of good, of good architecture? Are they just really upset? We don't like you, we've taken you over. We're going to destroy what your God has made. Why? Why? Why are they doing that? I mean, today we go around and graffiti stuff, you know, destroy good-looking things and put graffiti all over them. But these guys would actually break the whole thing to the ground. And the reason is, is because these cultures would bury little effigies of their gods. They would bury their wealth. They would bury their good luck charms. They would bury their things that would give them hope. They would bury them in the foundations of their homes so that they could not be easily found or stolen from them. They didn't have safes, you know, underground or banks with with unbreakable safes. So they buried them in the foundations of their homes. And so God says, I'm giving you this land... And I'm giving you these homes. But I'm not going to have anything that I have given you endeavour to or try and honour a false god or an old heathen god. I'm not going to let anything remain in there that doesn't bring honour to me. So I'm going I'm to show the homes that have got these things buried by putting a mark in the wall. So when the mark comes in the wall, it's not just to disturb your family knife. It's not just to make you shift all your goods and chattels out. I've asked you to do that so that you don't lose them, so you actually keep them. So God's protecting your game. 
I've, I've put a mark in those homes because there's something sinister, there's something bad, there's a false premise in the foundations. And so I'm showing you where it is so that you know what to do about it and you know how to get to it. And then he says, and this is the cure. Cure is a, a vessel of clean water, running water. The vessel, the, the cure is two birds. The cure is a scarlet thread. The cure is a piece of cedar wood. And the cure, the, the cure is a, a, a pair, a, a, a sprig or a, a, a piece of hyssop. And you think, well, what's all that about? Well, the two birds, one represents Jesus, Son of Man, which was to die, and the other bird was Jesus, Son of God, that's going to live. It was, as the first bird was slain, its blood was mingled with the water. His blood was mingled with the water so it could spread and be sprinkled around the home. The piece of cedar wood represented the cross on which Jesus would die. The hyssop, which is, which is quite sour, was, was represent the, sla- the, the, the cruelty of the cross, both in the, in the, the, the hurting process of Jesus and then finally in, in, the, in the cruelty of the whole, the whole situation of putting Jesus to death. What's the scarlet thread represent? Well, it represents that God had a plan from the word go. Scarlet thread started back in the Garden of Eden when God slew an animal. Oh, you have to understand, this is God Almighty to rescue these two that have done a dumb thing, steps out of his role and an animal is slain. It, it, it's, there's no, there's no, there's no uh, reference to God saying, uh, Michael, will you get down there and slay an animal, you know, to resolve this situation I've got right here right now? In fact, the only time the angels invoked to stand guard so that they can't come back into the Garden of Eden and perpetuate their life now stained by sin by taking hold of the tree of life. It was God. Whatever way that was, I don't know, I wasn't there. But the Bible tells me God slew an animal to make a sacrifice for Adam and Eve. So right from there, the scarlet thread goes and it weaves its way through human history, touching every generation, every nation, every country. And of course it finds its principal end in the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross but it was a scarlet thread it was the wood it was the hyssop it was the water it was the birds that were used to cleanse the situation and bring, and bring about and bring about wholeness bring about forgiveness bring about a redemption for that circumstance it's God it's God through the whole thing I, if this message does nothing more for you 
than put you to sleep. No, no, no. If this message does nothing more for you than alerts you to the fact that God cares intrinsically about your life and he knows all about your details, even the ones you thought you did at night and that you hid and you haven't told anyone about He knows already. I'm just thankful he's not putting marks of mildew or leprosy on our walls at home or in our cars. He, he's, he says because when Jesus was on the cross, he said, everything that needs to be paid is paid. Everything that needs the line drawn through it has had the line drawn through it. Everything that needs to be abruptly stopped has been abruptly stopped. He cried out, it is finished. It is finished. And what does this mean to me, Paul? I don't live two and a half thousand years before Jesus. What it means to this is you're living in a house. The you, the real essence of you. Because you, 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 can't, you can't show me where you store your love for another person. You, you can't show me that. We, we say our heart. You mean that, that, that thing... <laughs> That thing going like that, pumping blood around? That's, you, you store your love for a... Oh, really? Give me a break. I store it in my stomach. Oh, some people store it in the stomach. Yeah, well, that's a pretty messy thing too, to be going storing food in. You see, God treats this vessel as a temple that we're in. And sometimes as we come through into salvation, there are things in our lives that he says, well, we'll deal with that later on. Some things he deals with straight away. I've had people when they get saved. I've had, well, I remember one guy when he got saved. He was he had a, a really bad mouth. He was he, he he both he both drank and his his language was really really like it turned the turned the air blue, you know. And he also smoked. When he got saved, he didn't want another drop of drink. His language cleaned up straight away, like, wow. But he still wanted to smoke. It's almost like God says, I know how much you can take right now, so I'm going to deal with those things that I, that you, I can deal with. Right, uh, the, the, they're not going to you know, cause you overly too much. I'm going to deal with those things right now, and in a little while I'll come back and deal with the other. And God deals with us according to what we are able to cope with. He's not, a, he's not cruel. He's not, he's not terrible. He knew what was in the foundations of these homes and he said, I'm not going to have some other God getting glory for what I've given you. So I'm put a mark in your house. I'll put my finger in your life. I'm going to touch your life. You say, well, I've been a Christian. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I can say I've been a Christian for over 60 years. And God still comes along at times and says, hey, what about this thing? And the biggest problem for me now is I've lived with it so long, I've become comfortable with it. He says, oh, oh, that, that, that thing's got to be dealt with. Oh, it's like a friendly buddy I've got, you know. It's got to go. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And God will deal with it. And he's going to deal with it the same way as he dealt with the house. He's going to deal with it through the finished sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We don't... 
I'm sure in our comfortability, I'm sure in our satisfied lifestyle, we don't, we don't understand the depths that God went to to get to us through what happened to Jesus Christ. There's a verse of scripture in the Old Testament that says, And when the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and we go, oh, I find that very distressing that people would think that God who had God the Father who had constant fellowship with his son wouldn't when he saw him take upon himself the sins of the world so much to the point we had to turn away so that Jesus cried out my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He hadn't just known him for the 33 years he'd been alive. He'd known him from eternity present and eternity past. And in that moment, there came a... a, 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 Well, at that time, there came a moment of realisation. His heavenly father had had to turn his face away because Jesus had taken on himself the root principle of sin. But it didn't last too long because Jesus overcame. And we find just about three hours later he turns around and he cries out and looks at him and says It's finished Dad! It's all done! Price is paid in full! They don't even know what they're going to do yet but it's already paid. I've done it! It's completed! And then he says Father into thy hands I commit my spirit so Jesus on the cross after crying it's finished he said everything that I am everything that I have Father I commit it and give it back to your hands and then the Bible just simply says and he breathed his last he just and he was gone he never had his life taken from him He gave up his life for you and for me. It wasn't taken away by the cross, as cruel, as horrible as that was. It wasn't taken away by Roman soldiers. It wasn't taken away by the the bigotry and the blindness of of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus gave his life for his creation that had become stained by sin. It's no wonder, it's no wonder God, it's no wonder that God put a mark in these homes. It's no wonder God doesn't actually sometimes speak to you and say, oh, can I deal with this? No, mate. Every time he speaks, he's not saying, can I deal with this? Sometimes he's saying, look, this is good, let's do this together, let's go for it. I was sitting in my office in Warrigal Church and we were building a building. And my builder came in and he said, I'm sorry Paul, but look, we've found a couple of regulations we haven't measured up to and there's a couple of things happening. The plumber had passed his, his fire, his soldering fire over the wall and put a big scar and burnt the thing. We can't, I can't fix it. We'll have to replace that whole sheet. That will cost whatever it was it was going to cost me. He said, we're going to need about another 25000 I said, oh, Wow. 
Oh man, well, if that's what we need, we're going to finish this building. We'll, we'll, we'll get it somewhere. And so he turned on his heels and went out the door and went back out to the, where the building was being built. I said, oh God, I wanted this building for you. I wanted this building to be right. I wanted this building to be, you know, without huge debt hanging over it. I, I wanted this building to be where the people of God could come freely into and enjoy worship. And while I'm crying out like this, I'm saying, oh God, I want you I've got to go to the back and I was in a big old home there was a big fireplace in that corner and someone came and stood in the room and said Paul you build my house and I will build your house Paul you build my house and I will build your house Spirit of God said to me, if I keep my focus on building the living stones, the people, then he would take care of that money. Now, I can't even remember where the money came from. I can't, I, I, I don't, we didn't have to, we didn't go to eldership and sign more documents to, you know, borrow more money from the bank or get a bigger overdraft. I don't even know where that money came from. But I know that within about a week, I had $25,000 so I could say to the builder, go ahead, order your materials, it's there, you can do it. The voice spoke to me and said, you build my house, I will build your house. And he's still interested in building your house. He's interested in building your house as a person. He's interested in building your house as a home with you and your wife and your family. He's interested in building this house together. He's interested. He's interested. If God of heaven could come down and put a mark on a wall so that they would have to explore and investigate so that the children of Israel would be protected before Jesus... How much more is he going to do it now? After Jesus has paid the price. Man alive, when we walk out that door down there, we're walking out having met with the God of all creation who has done everything for us. Everything. Nothing left over. There's no whoopsies in God. Oh, I forgot that bit. We'll get to that later on. Oh, oh gosh. I better... Fold the page over there. I've got to go back there and fix that mistake at a later date. There's none of that. None of that. Everything. Everything. I I, I did did say everything has been done. Everything has been done. If you ever feel like... If you ever feel like... We're not in the centre of God's, God's attention. I, 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 I want to stress to you, you are. Remember how much God cared about a stone plastered, clay plastered house. Stone, plaster, wood, 
dirt for. He cares about that. How much more will he care about you? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 it says, Through these great and magnificent promises, we have become the partakers of divine life through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. That's you, and it's me. It's you. Whether I'm jealous of how much hair you've got or not is immaterial. God cares about you as much as he cares about me. I make the job easier for him. He can number my head quicker than he can get to yours. But anyway, we won't go down that track. He cares about it. He cares about it. He knows what you had for breakfast. It's immaterial, but he knows what you had for breakfast. He knows what you had for supper last night too. Hmm. He knows. He knows. Families, he knows how the children are going. He knows what the children need. He knows. He knows. Through these magnificent and precious promises, we become partakers in the divine nature. That God will speak to us and reveal to us those things that are critical to Him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we thank you for these dear people that lived so many years ago that had to walk through these experiences so that we can just look at their experience and we can learn, Lord God, that we can un- bring, it brings us into understanding. Sorry about that. I've got to stop that. Lord God, help us. Help us. Help us to know your care of us in such an individual way, in such a close way, in such a way that is pertinent to our lives and what we're up to and where we're at. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for your hand upon these people and this church in this small town of Macclesfield. Lord, you know it. It's on your map in heaven. And I thank you, Lord God, that you care about them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you. Thank you for inviting us to come and address you.